What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for tuning in to uh, another episode of the Live Free Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Maxwell. Today's guest is uh, known as Megs, a.k.a. David Hook. Uh, I better. I guess I'm going to have to double-check and make sure. I, I'm pretty sure his, his name's out there. So um, He does a lot of uh, mural work, humongous murals, which I'm interested to talk to him about. Um, I came across his work uh, at least a few years ago. Um, I, I started seeing him show some stuff in some galleries and in these big wall paintings that were um, really cool and, and interesting to see. I think I saw some stuff in Miami maybe uh, the last time I was out there for Art Basel, which is coming up again soon. I'd love to go out there again, but I don't think it's going to happen. Um, what's up, guys? We haven't, been on, we haven't talked in a while, or you haven't listened to me talk at you uh, in quite some time. It's probably been like a couple months now. Maybe just a little over a month. Um, everything's going really good. I uh, I just uh, dropped off some art for the upcoming Metamoris tournament that's happening uh, in L.A. on the 22nd, which hopefully this should be out by then. Um, I just did a big mural project here in San Diego, which I uh, it's a very interesting thing. I've, and I want to talk to uh, Megs about the public perception and how things go when you're out there like, putting work out on the street in the public. Um, you're very much open to ridicule. Um, I guess, uh, man, I'm sorry I'm so burpy. I just had a, a beer that was so citrusy and uh, uh, carbonated that I'm probably going to burp the whole way through. Um, so you, you're sort of open to criticisms and uh, compliments and a whole sort of list of weird things that happen when you're making work, work out on the street, uh, which can be both thrilling, it could be really frustrating, and uh, also kind of addicting. So I, uh, we'll, we'll get into some of that. Um, so let's just jump into this thing. We don't have a lot of time. We, we're a little short, this one, so hopefully uh, it'll be short and sweet, and we'll uh, get to know Megs a little bit. So let us give him a call. Yo, hey, man. Yeah, brother. What's happening, my friend? Can you hear me still good? Yes. Yeah, I, I I had, even after we first spoke for a second, everything was sounding fine. I still had some technical difficulties down on this end. It never fails. It's so funny. But it's almost always user error. <laughs> yep. Like, I, I blame the technology and, the, the you know, sometimes there's some minor, like, breakages and that sort of thing. But it's almost always my fault. Yeah, that's pretty much the same in my life too, I guess. So, uh, first, I want to I want to thank you for uh, taking the time to uh, talk with me. We never met before, um, so nice to meet you in this bizarre digital form here. Likewise. Um, I guess we have some mutual friends. Uh, my my buddy Freddie was just out in L.A. Uh, from Montreal, and he actually connected us to uh, to get this thing done. So. Um, Let's sort of just jump right into it. I guess we're a little short on time. Um, you grew up in Australia. You're in L.A. now, but you grew up in Australia, right? Yes. Yep. That's correct. Um, what, what, what age did you make the jump? Uh, pretty over the jump from Australia to the U.S. Pretty recently. Only um, last year. I just I basically am officially on a working visa as of I think it was probably February, March this year. Actually, but uh, I started technically like living here in the process of applying for that visa from I guess it was like 
September last year, September 2013. Okay, so is, is it, that process kind of a pain in the ass, yeah? Yes, it is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you really have to get rung through the sort of bureau, bureaucratic system that is uh, tax yeah. law, really. Pretty much, basically, yeah. They just want to know that you're going to make income and pay taxes, I think, yeah. is the ultimate thing, right? That's, the wealthier you are, the easier it is. Probably. That's all it is. It's just a little collection on the side. Uh-huh. <laughs> but they really make you jump through some hoops to to make that happen, which I imagine is, you know, as an artist, is a is a tough a tough sort of process to have to deal with that sort of bureaucratic routine. Dude, it, it kind of is like it was a real kind of. I mean, it was a lot of headache for me as far as as a visual artist. They're they're kind of like requirements basically when you apply for an O one, which is a specialty. Uh, an alien or whatever with special ability. Um, <laughs> that sounds like that. that sounds so bad. Dude, it's so good. Yeah, I can't remember the. That's something like that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, basically, the the requirements are fairly generalized as such. So if you're an actor or a musician or a visual artist or whatever, a lot of it pertains to kind of more um, institutional based. Uh, accolades and stuff like that and awards. Right. Which coming, especially from a background like mine, like a DIY street art background, yeah. I don't have a lot of. I think, thankfully, I have a university degree in graphic design, which I guess helps in some ways. So I get the education box ticked. But <laughs> other, <laughs> otherwise, it was like basically supplying as much collateral information about the value of what you do as possible. Yeah. And I went pretty hard on it. Maybe my design background or the fact that I, because I'd already kind of established myself here and I just, I didn't want to fail. I didn't want to step backwards as far as what I'd sort of already got going with Menton and stuff in the US. Yeah. So I, I like put together, it was like a 300 page document on myself, which was, <laughs> wow. Fucking took me a lot longer than I thought it would. Yeah, I imagine. It was intense, man. But it was great because at least I got to go through and somewhat formalize like a lot of what I'd done. Yeah. And I feel like that's sometimes, uh, in, I'm sort of generalizing creative types, but that's sort of having to go back and uh, or, organization seems to mm. be uh, tend to be a, an issue. with. Yes, yes, definitely. And I mean, I feel like compared to a lot of other artists, maybe having that graphic design background and working as a graphic designer in industry with clients and all that, you know, like professionally, basically, I'd say my systems of like organization, which I think everything's digital now, obviously. So it's like basically you buy your folder filing and back up onto hard drives and stuff. Mine's pretty good. I mean, it's way lacking, but I guess in artist terms, it's probably not too bad. But then it still took me a long, lot of time and effort. Well, um, Let's jump back then. When did you start making things? You know, was it was it an early age thing? Did you have some like uh, people in your family that sort of led you into a creative path at all? Um, I guess like if anyone, my dad probably would have been a main influence. Like my dad's always been a creative type. He's kind of a, he's probably been a little more orientated, I guess, towards music film and theater in like the creative stuff that he uh likes to involve himself in you know sure. a bit of a movie buff and had a pretty cool record collection um and did a lot of sort of drama 
he was a drama teacher as well as being English as a high school teacher. But um, so my parents were really supportive, I guess, of any kind of creativity in me. But I don't know, like the, for me, it was just the illustrative drawing side of things definitely came out from a pretty early age where I'd spend hours on school projects, you know, drawing the animals and then having way less interest in the time of writing the paragraph of text to go uh, with it, you know what uh, I mean? Like, yeah. My, my work, I don't know how factually amazing it was, but it looked, looked pretty beautiful for, you know, like for a young kid, I think. Like I put a lot of, so it was obviously like that was my leanings and um, all that like, yeah, the comic book uh, graphics and then like video games and cartoons and then the figurines you know uh-huh. all that packaging and stuff all that is kind of graphics just visually really enticed me yeah and i feel like that's what led to me being enticed into to graffiti because it was sort of like large-scale versions of that outside yeah when i used to ride my bike around as a kid and catch the train and stuff so it, it's yeah. interesting to see how that like it's almost i you know you like almost like early advert it was it's like the 80s became like the sort of television age i think yes. to, like yeah. Yeah, yeah. it started obviously way before that but like slowly built itself up and then like exploded into like a sort of pop art version of itself you know like a, like all the technicolor of the 70s sort of like prepped for like the weird fakeness and like things that were created <laughs> And it ha- I think it had a big impact on people probably were around the same age, like our generation, visually, you know, the aspects of things. Yeah. And so it's interesting yeah. to see how those things start to play out. Even the, the idea that you say that you were drawing a lot of animals in, like, biology class or, or, you know, whatever the school project was, you know, to see those things still carry over, you know, yeah. into the stuff that you're making now. So what made the tra- – so you decided to, to go into the design world because it seemed like maybe like a uh, – was it a, a financially stable situation for you or – or did you did you have a specific like route like you know like a lot of people like to go in for like t-shirt or skateboard design or uh i guess like i never really during high school i never really knew what even it meant to be an artist as an occupation as a as a thing you know it was just like oh i like drawing and you know i like painting and stuff but it was always that's just hobby shit you do and tagging your books and what uh-huh. and like fucking around and spray can that all that shit was just like just fun stuff and then uh skateboarding was my next love and through the culture of that obviously like skateboarding graphics yeah were a big influence on it but yeah like design at the end of high school and again i think my my dad being a high school teacher kind of like put a little bit of emphasis on our school structure was that the final two years of high school you had to pick some you had core subjects and you had to pick elective subjects you know and so mine were like, well, what I do, there was no real, there was some, I did, I did art class, like an art class that I did like woodwork and then design, but there were, I never, there was nothing that really taught or in my life that gave me any guidance onto what it would be to be an artist or an illustrator mm-hmm. as an occupation. But uh, a friend's older brother, a close friend of mine who was also kind of artistically inclined, like his older brother went on to start university to do graphic design and I kind of looked into that and that like seemed to be the kind of most logical like career after school 
step for for someone visually inclined. It's like, well, you roll all those artistic elements into producing practical things. And I love design as well. I guess like yeah, skateboarding and bodyboarding. I used to you know really absorb all the logos from skate companies and all those kind of graphic yeah. element stuff. So I was totally into that. That's that was my thing. I was like, fuck yeah, if you know I can design skateboards one day, I would have made it. You know, <laughs> yeah. dream, dream come true kind of shit. So. So that's what got me into then I, you know, went into actually switched high schools and went to a high school that was orientated towards like a technical school so much that we had like art and design specific subjects uh-huh. as well as like maths and English. And so that really nurtured I think the creative side more and then from that I got into a a degree, a Bachelor of uh design at one of the Melbourne's universities, Swinburne. And so, are you still using that stuff too? Do you still do you still do some design work when uh, when it pops up? Oh uh, no, not so much. No, now I don't. Just painting, right? Exterior, yeah, just painting. But the design yeah. for myself and like, it's still like graphic design is still obviously like a, it's it's really it's part of my process. And yeah, yeah, yeah. How I work and the the way my work looks like it's all highly rolled in but yeah i stopped doing like external design jobs several cool quite a few years ago i got to the point where you know after working full-time and doing art as a hobby once i started to to do freelance part-time design and art and wanting to build the art thing i just got to a point where it was like any basically any smaller freelance work you take on i would do it now if it was for a cool company but i feel like now people would approach me for what I do as an artist. Right, right. And be like, yo, if you want to do skateboards, you want, we want Meg style skateboards. And that's ultimately like, I felt like, I mean, you know, I've, that was, that was more of a goal for me, more of an empowering, like fulfilling position to be in rather than graphic design, which may have some cool jobs, but a lot of the time you're dealing with corporate people or clients. And I just, I just got sick of that world and people giving me restrictions that I knew. I didn't need, you know. Yeah, again, the rules and the whole organization and the bureaucracy again, it never <laughs> fucking worked out. Right? <laughs> well, I mean, so I know your work mostly from your big outdoor stuff, right? Um, yeah. I would say it's funny that we bring that up because what seems to be like one of the like freest, most like open expression type of forums, a lot of times ends up being a big bureaucratic mess as well. The exterior murals. Yeah, like the the idea of you know having putting work out into a public space, um, it comes with a, a great amount of benefits, and there's a lot of um, the flip side of the coin too. There there's some problems that come with it sometimes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I don't think I think for one, people don't realize, especially as your scale increases, like the scale of projects, like and your ambition for doing that kind of thing starts to build. First of all, like the logistics behind getting it done uh, are really tricky, tricky and they build. And then, yeah, the bureaucracy of like, shit, you know, when you're dealing with, well, once you do, you're working in a public space, like the issue of maybe permits are required. Maybe this is required. Maybe this is required. You know what I mean? Yeah. You understand? Yeah, you got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're trying to please you. Well, there's zero possibility of pleasing everybody. You can't do it. You can't do yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> and somehow those people who are the least pleased, we'll call them that, 
tend to be the most vocal. The haters. Yeah. They, but <laughs> I say that, but then the people who are super positive and appreciate something being made by hand in their neighborhood or in the city that they commute in is, you know, 10 times better and more impactful than those few yeah. negative assholes. Oh, I agree. And I mean, yeah, that's, that's like the nature of anything, isn't it? It's like, yeah, when you put work out there in a public space, it's, you know, uh, yeah, as you said, like it's open to critique and, and judgment and opinion. And I think that's probably one of the values to having art out there is that kind of like discussion it brings. And I would think for the, in general, in my personal experience, that the, the good overweighs the bad. You know, the positivity that you receive in feedback from making public art over outweighs the people that don't want it there or have like <laughs> a negative impact from it or like for whatever reason are not into it. So I, I mean, I believe that it's like it's a progression for it's a positive step forward. Yeah. How uh, how did you so we you mentioned like even the logistics like if you told somebody to just paint a a humongous wall like uh, you know about forty foot tall by however many feet wide you know it's a serious amount of work just to roll out an entire wall like that yeah totally <laughs> now to go and put a big image on there that has to fit a particular way and look a particular way is a whole nother set of problems and I. Yeah. I think I've noticed something interesting lately with people, uh, and I've noticed it with myself in particular, like the translation from uh, somebody who makes small work to a big scale. Sometimes there's a real difficulty for some creators to, uh, to make that scale transition. And I've noticed the opposite as well. Some people who can make really big stuff, when they try to make the smaller like gallery size works, there seems to be some disconnect with with the actual process. It's almost like people get used to painting with their bodies, and then when they try to come down and paint with just their hands and wrists and fingers, there there seems to be a mistranslation somehow. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's totally it, man. And to be honest, I find, like, I'm one of those people that's probably... I'm in a position now where I'm trying to translate, I feel like, more of the intricacies that I can create on a smaller scale, perhaps, onto the larger scale murals, which yeah. right now I feel like I'm in a living, I'm in a real little, well, not little, but I'm in a real learning transitional phase and trying to accomplish that, and I'm going through the difficulties in my own mind of what I want to visually achieve, and, and this, you know, every time it's like, shit, I want to make that more look more like this or getting over those <laughs> hurdles, and... You know, like the, the, the textures that I can create on a canvas using a spray bottle and water and getting really messy with the layers, it's like taking that big scale on a wall becomes a lot less practical because right. you're, controlling, you're controlling an area that was, I don't know, 10 inches is now 10 feet plus, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. It's a way different ball game. So it's definitely like my transition has been very gradual, I feel like, and it's never perfect and it's always a learning curve and going big uh and then there'll be elements yeah of the mural that you want to bring into canvas work but it's like well I, you know when you one of the things i find personally is just when you become used to creating imagery with a spray can in certain ways like a lot of the illustrative style that i can do large scale in a spray can 
I'm not necessarily used to doing with a small brush. Right. And that a clean line thing. I'm that's starting something I've started bringing back as well. But it's not a I'm natural on the biggest size side of that because you just get used to using a spray can, and then you're like, well, like, that's not the right medium for something <laughs> that's you know like 12 by 12 inches. Yeah, and vice versa. You can't take those little brushes and make uh, like a, a nice like fat cap spray. You know, right, like exactly. it, it's yeah. not gonna work. So I, I think that transit there, and of course there's like those those perfect fuckers who like find the, the happy yeah. medium. And, and, yeah. But you know what I think? I think it comes down to uh, like adjusting to both, like you know, like like fiddling and tooling with each side of it until you create. You know, like if you're creating a big wall piece, you have to sort of map it out to work most efficiently, right? You know, you you need to work yes. in these. You don't. You can't spend a month painting a wall no, typically exactly right yeah yeah totally but you could sit down and paint a little piece in your studio for months at a time for as long as you feel like so how did you get into the did, were you painting the, the walls first before doing gallery work did you have the the plan to get into the gallery scene to no not, not at all not really in the beginning like in the beginning what i started doing street art wise was stencils uh really basic stencils and that was purely as like a bit of fun on the side the outside of like the design work stuff that i was doing just to kind of i don't know i think felt felt creatively stale i think and was looking for an outlet and a friend of mine started doing small stencils this is around like 2003 uh -huh. i think and so i was like Fuck yeah, I'm going to come out and start putting stuff up as well. And uh -huh. I caught the bug pretty hard, I guess. Like, I dabbled with um, just really shitty graffiti stuff in high school and uh -huh. I was skateboarding around here and there. So I'd always, I'd always loved the subculture of street art and public art. So I always, like, I got the bug and then I was just started meeting a bunch of people through that and became part of a collective studio called Everfresh, which I don't know if you've heard of, but it was, like, nine guys essentially uh, we established kind of like a collective studio space in melbourne in a warehouse uh -huh. um between 2004 and 2010 essentially and kind of just through hanging out there like we'd hang out uh make work for the streets and each one of us was kind of involved in like there was a few of us that were stencil guys a couple of guys that were more traditional graffiti orientated a couple of guys that were more illustrative character kind of guys uh-huh yeah which sounds um, about right like that's a, i think that's the the common bond a lot of times yeah yeah you know just a little a little bit of each yeah a little bit of each and then uh -huh. you influence each other so everyone starts cross-pollinating basically and like yeah so we we just had to start putting more and more shit on the streets and then at the time, obviously, the street art kind of like subculture in Melbourne was was just bubbling away, very DIY. And so crew would throw little, little warehouse exhibitions or studio exhibitions or there'd be like an exhibition at a bar and people would just throw work in. And right. I started to get the opportunity to do that. And my first one, actually, I was kind of like, holy shit, I've never exhibited, uh, never exhibited an artwork before. Like, I don't know if I want to do that. I was comfortable <laughs> with it. Yeah. But, but it was like, Fuck it, you know, like, I'm just... Basically then, at that point, I took what I was doing stencil-wise on the streets and just recreated way more cleaner, precise versions of them on on wood panels because I was like, well, 
for me, it's sort of like in the beginning, what happened more was street art. It was more like spontaneous in a way. It was a, sort of dirtier. It was looser. It was always like changing and evolving and learning for me. But anything that then I started doing inside when I have when I had the time to sort of uh, sit with it, and I wanted to make it as perfect as I could. I guess like the designer in me came out. In there. Yeah. So my work kind of took two different uh, paths in a way. I had like what I was doing street side and then I had what I was doing essentially in the studio and then for, for gallery stuff, which the gallery, like, it started out like super. It was all DIY. Yeah, which, which, is a great, like which is a great way to start out, like a group of people who are sort of doing things on their own. It seems I've... I've I've like romanticized another idea because I felt like there was something like that going on, like in that period, like 99 to 2001, you know, like the, there were some things that were going on in here in California anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah. That, that, but then there were some changes and it, it, it sort of fizzled out into like a more like corporatized sort of society where everyone's just trying to get paid as much as possible, which I'm not, I'm not judging anyone for what they want. Um, but some of that like do it yourself uh ethos sort of it felt like it disappeared a little bit for me uh right right it's, towards like know, the George Bush years that we sort of faced here seemed to like suck some of that out of yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it's when i look at the melbourne scene now has definitely evolved and, and changed i feel like maybe in comparison when you've got a smaller city like Melbourne, there's always threads of that, but somewhere like LA or, you know, like surrounding area, uh-huh. it's a faster, more commercial based city with so much. So maybe, I don't know. It's, it's, everything is always evolving and changing because there's always new youngsters coming. I, I made a post uh-huh. on Twitter or something recently saying that, um, I love seeing toy graffiti because it means that there's some new, new young kid like doing it now right, you know right. he sucks right now but he might be good in 10 years you know what i mean totally, right? but he like he's out there doing it like he's putting in time and to me i you know there's so many people that i run into that would just like a tag on the street makes their like brain explode for some reason and yeah. i get i get so much joy out of it i was just driving last night i was driving home and there was this big wall piece um on an abandoned shop that was a uh, it was on a really busy street, so it was obviously a permissioned piece. It wasn't very good, but the fact that there was like some bright colors and some shapes and some movement, maybe it wasn't as uh, artistically pleasing to me as it could be to somebody else, but it made me look over there and while well, I was sitting at a stupid red light just staring off into space. I got to look at that, as a po- and it gave me some sort of sense of joy, even without it being you know, my particular... Uh, type of work that i like to look at but just the fact that it was there i was like hey that like it made me smile you know what i mean like it gave me joy even though it didn't have anything real to do with me and so but and i think that's what yeah that's what i agree is important man like i feel like the more public art that's accepted or nurtured and supported like the better and then there's there's artists out there that are like super well established and may and there will be people that will drive past and be like oh i don't like that piece of art as well right you know, but maybe someone does like something. That, I mean, it's subjective, and I think that's one of the, the beautiful things about it, in a way. Yeah, but, especially public art. 
It's almost like uh, the world is uh, in this particular area is like uh, like Yelp, and it's it's the people who really want to talk shit yeah. go on there yeah. and like yeah totally like right. talk all their shit, and then the people who are into it they just like are into it. It's it's yeah. very interesting. People are I, I started reading. It's funny to even say it out loud, but I started reading the uh, how to influence people and make friends or whatever that fucking book is. Oh, yeah, I, my friend, my housemate actually had that out the other day, and I was like, maybe I should read that. I just started, this, it sounds so silly, but I just started reading it. And I find, I'm, a, I'm really hypercritical. Like, in my own head, like, I just want to change yeah, yeah. the entire fucking world. And it comes out like an asshole sometimes, like, yeah, yeah. to other people. Because nobody wants to be told they're wrong. Nobody. Yeah. Like, if you tell somebody they're wrong, it's defense, fight back time. Yeah. You know? So I started reading this book, and it gave you a couple sort of like techniques to be a little less critical and and even figure out better ways to say things uh, to get what you want. Um, and what what's really funny is like it's really changed my attitude a little bit too, as opposed to like me being like hypercritical about something. Oh uh, yeah, you know. And it's usually like I'm just mad in traffic about something stupid or whatever. But somehow my luck has like turned around a little bit since having this little bit of mindset switch, mm. you know, like, a, like a couple commissions have come in, like some extra checks that I wasn't expecting showed up. Like, and I, I'm not, I'm totally like, you know, there's the people that are all like the secret. Like if you put your mind to something, like it's going to change the universe. Positive manifestation. I, yeah. You know, I'm not a prescriber to any of the sort of mumbo jumbo that comes with some of that stuff. But when you put things into practice and it, maybe I'm just grabbing two separate things and putting them together, but it seems as though that this little bit of attitude change has changed an outside perception from the general Dude, population. I, I, I'm not like, I'm, I'm kind of like you. I, I mean, I think I'm a, I'm definitely skeptical when it comes yeah. to book like books like that or any yeah. of that kind of shit. Strangely enough, my house, the same housemate, gave me a book that I literally kind of hated myself for uh, <laughs> accepting and starting reading. It's called Think and Get Rich. <laughs> right? Yeah. So I literally, I've read four pages this way because it's been sitting there and I'm like, maybe I should fucking read this thing. Because they mentioned that other book you just mentioned. I'm like, maybe I should fucking read that thing. Yeah, yeah. I got this one for the time being. And, like, it starts off with this kind of, like, in this book, you will discover this. There's a power, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm kind of like, ah. Yeah, you're like, bullshit. It sounds like a pyramid scheme. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know? But I think what the ultimate thing that they're kind of getting at in this, it's somewhere along the lines of that, like, it's the positive thought thing. You know, like, if you think it and you want it enough and you're determined, then you will achieve certain things. And I do believe there's... The truth to that, and I mean, there's still a lot of things that I think I want to achieve in my life, but I feel like it's that's probably the only thing that's really got me to where I am right now. Anyway, you know, like, right, right, is is just being determined and passionate. I mean, and so then like, if if, if you also think about any of the things that have held you back in any way as well, I don't know for you personally, but for me, like looking at some of like the way I've uh, my actions or like certain choices have had certain effects. And if, you know, like a lot of times, like for the, the like burning bridges, I've burned so many bridges from like my early twenties. Right. Like so easy. (laughs) 
But and it, it, what I'm learning now as an older man is that if you take a couple steps in the the reality is if we put ourselves in other people's shoes, it becomes a little bit easier to be empathetic with one another. It it becomes a little easier, even if somebody's being hypercritical of you, if you put the, yourself in their shoes for a second to see what their day is about. You know, like, if, if somebody comes up to you and they're bitching about something, it's likely that they have some other fucking issue going on at home, like bills or money or, you know, spousal arguments or whatever the fuck that comes out and shows in you. Sure, yeah. And that shit seems to be a big ripple effect somehow through all of our sort of connected psyches on some on some level like we know who's the fucking asshole you walk, you know you're walking around you know who's fucking in a bad mood yeah yeah you know? no, it's true man it's um and i think yeah when you look at it in in those sort of terms it's like what ultimately holds you back is your is fear and self-doubt yeah that's right and i mean i think self-criticism is is good and healthy obviously Right. Because there's no one that's immune to that by any means. And as personally as an artist, I feel like that's what helps me grow and to accept others' criticism, but just not let it become a barrier in a way. Uh-huh. Because you- it's like you have to look at it as it's like that's just part of the, the growth and the journey. And it's hard to remember. Everyone's like, that's a hard thing to kind of keep reminding yourself and remaining motivated that's something that i noticed recently the idea of not wanting to be yourself anymore is it I, and maybe that sounds but so like the idea if somebody's being critical in that you're not good enough for this particular set of uh critics or whatever you know so this yeah, idea yeah. that you need to change who you are not like on a you know a grand scale but like let's say for somebody who makes things like all of a sudden, I need to make things better than how I make things now. That's a great fire, but at the same time, I think it can be detrimental to somebody who takes that too much to heart and uh, gets outside of themselves. Like the the right. the, totally. the ability to be comfortable in who we are and the things that we make sometimes allows greater growth than like a forced trying. Do you know I what agree, I mean? Couldn't agree more, man. Yeah, that's something I definitely learn more as I grow with age in terms of my own art it's like no be I mean you have to be to succeed I feel like you know to to keep moving forward so to speak it's like you have to be comfortable and confident in what you're trying to make or what you are making and then and be comfortable to like present that like your your message your beliefs like to the world or whatever and then accepts what comes in. I don't know, it's hard well, to say exactly. Yeah. So I have struggled with that a lot. And my art's about duality a lot and that's kind of the themes that it plays with is that like doubt versus confidence. Uh-huh. Or whatever, you know, Which it, it's so funny in a sort of painter's life because it's almost as if, you know, each new piece that gets built is sort of uh, built upon the mound of pieces that you've made before. So in mm-hmm. some ways, you know, you're getting better with each piece. So there's always that duality of confidence with the new work that you're doing that you know you've learned from the past. Then there can sneak in the uh, sort of self-doubt because you've kind of beat up all the old pieces. Do you ever find, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like yeah. the old pieces are shit because you've made the better shit now. 
you know? <laughs> and so there, there's almost a fight in between the groupings of work in and of themselves. I was just talking to some, uh, my buddy Command Z. He's getting ready to do a show at Mary Kronowski's in February. And we were talking about how, like, you know, you work for a period of months on a set number of pieces. And again, that like that mound builds and all of a sudden the new work brings on a whole new set of ideas that maybe could go as far as contradict the stuff that you were making before or how there could be battles, you know, that same battle. And, and that's, again, like the fight between this, like making new good stuff, you know, and I think sometimes maybe when people get stale and sort of float. I think maybe there's some of that like worry about that thing maybe sometimes for people like if you just stay the course you don't have to deal with that subconscious remembrance of the the work that came before. And you know, I'm just throwing that out there as a, a blanket statement, but yeah, I'm, I mean I mean maybe maybe I don't know like I feel like it's it's definitely it's just, I think, as a, as a visual artist, there's that element of the unknown when you are you're bringing new th elements into your work. Yeah, the, yeah, the experimentation. Like, you're old, right? The experimentation, mm -hmm. which we all love doing. It's sure. Great, but at some point, when it becomes something that you're like, oh, this is this is a, a a progression I feel good about or I feel happy with. But then, if you're been successful on the previous work then you go shit am i like shooting myself in the foot here <laughs> yeah too far away what are the like it's that thing of obviously being happy in yourself with the kind of work that you're you're producing and confident with it but also that the fact that when well you you are putting your work out there externally so the thought of how's this going to be received and then if, if you're, like, selling work, how is it going to translate into sales? Yeah. Well, I, just had, I just had this same conversation. It's so funny. Yeah. And that's the thing. So, like, what feels best, right, is the sort of experimentation, like, getting loose, like, not putting too many uh, sort of expectations on oneself. Mm -hmm. That tends to feel the best. Like, it seems the yeah. most rewarding. And some of the stuff, once you've, once, at least for, and I think this is a sort of, like, uh, attention deficit sort of situation like once for me i've found the puzzle how i, I found the formula i need to break it apart again and refine it and then like a dummy go back and do the same problem over again <laughs> like like five years later or something you know yeah uh, i kind of i know what you mean actually like right now i'm in a, in that position where i just came off the detroit show and, and the merely internship, like that whole experience, which was also really positive for me, like really inspiring being in Detroit, had a good time, was successful overall, like show and painting the mural and stuff. Like yeah, that. that piece came out fantastic. That, that fucking Thanks, thing man. is humongous. Yeah, that is, that is, that was a pretty huge flaw. <laughs> What's the biggest piece you've done? That is the biggest that, piece. Yeah, actually. yeah, yeah, pretty fucking massive. And people could find that online and we'll we'll give out your stuff at the we probably uh probably got to cut this short here in a little bit okay um but yeah i want to so i want to hear about your experience though in detroit like there's so many interesting things that are going on out there now yeah. um i'm interested to see its evolution and see how how that progresses but what was your experience like when when you're out there 
We, I had an overall positive experience. The people we worked with uh, from Interstate Gallery slash One Times Run uh-huh. um, are really good, hardworking bunch of people. And, you know, I really respect that. And that we had a good time working with them and around them. Um, so there was that. But I found the city itself, like, it's, it's really interesting to see what the web Detroit will head for now because it's basically there's a lot of empty space there's a lot of disused buildings uh it's but it's now from what i understand or since let's say cast back a decade ago even two years ago it's now a lot cleaner it's a lot safer uh things are new small businesses are, are opening like there's a few more people injected into the downtown city area of detroit which is essentially was the kind of the dead zone or was for yeah. a long time. Which it'll soon be called gentrification, just so well, every- yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's only a matter of time. But you know what? It's like, I definitely feel that. And I, I have my issues with gentrification as much as anyone, but it's like maybe in this instance where it's, you have goes from having no people to actually having people, it's not such a bad thing. Yeah. It's always looked at as a negative aspect, but there are, it's because the term, it's actually the, like, you know, it's, it's the usage of the word itself that yeah, that yeah. creates so many problems. Like if there was another word for like making a neighborhood better instead of gentrification, you know, because yeah. that the, I think the etymology of that word is, is, you know, back to like feudal systems wherein, uh, when like, you know, like a higher class people obviously moved into a neighborhood that was poor like feudal, like uh, serfs, I think they were called serfs, and you know that in that the the word comes from that time period, which has a bunch of negative connotations, obviously. And now what we look at it as white people moving into a non-white area, and then charging more for rent. And you know, I actually blame <laughs> artists are the are the first step to gentrification. So artists move into a neighborhood. Sure. If you know that happened, if you see that that's happening, that's the first step to a neighborhood turning into like a popular little like latte sipping walk the walk the block neighborhood. <laughs> but isn't that period before the latte shops open just after the artists move, move in like beautiful? It's little? so beautiful. It's it's <laughs> amazing. Yeah. So that's may hopefully Detroit could be at the point of a beautiful time for yeah. now. And then, and then it'll be interesting to see what happens because it's, I mean, fuck, man. You know, as you know, it all comes down to who owns property. Yeah, that's What they right. decide to do with it. Yeah. How much they decide to charge for it. And <laughs> sad but fucking true reality. It's real estate. I feel real estate controls gentrification. Obviously, it's the nature of the beast. Yeah, that's right. But artists are to blame. First step. <laughs> yep. There's such a bunch of... Fucking hipster. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. Uh, sorry, we have to cut this a little bit short, but we got we got almost forty five minutes. Feels good. Okay. You feel good about it? Yeah, I feel good about it. Um, what uh, you got some stuff planned for the upcoming year? Anything anything in the works that you want to shout out, or uh, maybe we can get your Instagram stuff out there so people can go check out your work if they're not already following you. Yeah, uh, I guess well, my Instagram is. House of Megs, um, H-O-U-S-E of Megs, M-E-W-G-S. My website's houseofmegs.com. I run pretty much all that social media stuff under House of Megs. Um, I guess coming up, the next, next trip planned is to Miami for our basil. Along wow, with right. Pretty much every, all the other 
um, gentrification artists. Yeah, bunch of fucking hoodlums. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and after that, then the next major thing on my calendar is a show at Stolen Space in London. So if you have any London listeners, first week of February at Stolen Space, I'll be there. Um, please come. Fantastic. All right. I want to thank you again for, for taking the time to shoot the shit with me. It was, uh, it was good to get to know you a little bit. And, uh, it was too, man. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully... Yeah, let's. Uh, next time I'm in LA, you're up in LA, right? Yeah. Yeah, we'll grab a beer or something. Yeah, sounds good. Dude. And if you ever get down here, I know you were supposed to come down here for a project that seemed to really take a tailspin. Had yeah, some. There's some real. I got. Yeah. I, I. Somebody was telling me about some of the shit that went down with Greenpeace, and they went all aggro. There's a bunch really? of problems. Yeah, I. I don't know. I didn't get the full gist. It was like a fifth hand story. But apparently Greenpeace went all aggro, and was, there was a bunch of problems happening. And uh, all I know is that walls got pulled, and one was mine, and they were like, we can't guarantee you, so if you're too busy and you just want to keep working, don't jump on the plane. And I was like, well, I guess that's that. Right. Well, maybe we can find something for you to paint some other time. Yeah, this city, it's so fucking cons- Have you ever been down here? Uh, no. Oh, I came down for one day and got a tattoo by Serge. Oh, nice! Yeah, he he's uh, he's gonna tattoo me pretty soon. Oh, sweet! Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a, awesome, yeah, he's a good. Friend. He was actually like the fi- like fifth person on the show, I think maybe. Oh, right. Old ass episode. All right, my friend, let's do internet dap. <laughs> Bam! All right, thanks, brother. Have a good day. Thanks, bro. You too. All thanks. right, later. All you time the children with your big dicks and flashback, trying to get ahead. What makes you think I can see you? What makes you think I believe you? Dreams inside my head. Have you heard me play on the news? Yeah, but I'm waiting. Shot from the past. All the dreams are flying, all the thoughts are dying. Hurt from the past. And your freaky contenders trying to be the first. In my own opinion, you are not defending. You, you are the worst. You make the world like a circus, and you're trying to curse us. Cruel, they don't know about. But we won't let you beat us, no, we won't let you cheese us. Only one time around.